And if you would, Luke chapter number 7, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter number 7. As you know, on Wednesday nights, we're going through uh, living by principles. Principles are different than doctrines. Doctrines are what we believe, uh, what we hold on as truth. But principles are uh, rules. Uh, they're foundations, if you would. And principles are basics, and so they're different than doctrines. They, they should help us in every decision that we make. Uh, we began with the very foundation, and as I've said, all of our principles come from the scriptures. Some of them are very clear commands, some are general guidelines. And we've said that if you embrace these things as yours, they become convictions. On the other hand, if they're just forced upon you, they're simply standards that you just may throw off at the first opportunity. Then we began to look, uh, first uh, principle was separation. There are some people that God says we should separate from. Second one is always put God first. Whatever the decision, put God first in that decision. Third was the principle of consecration. You can be separated and yet never have completely dedicated yourself to God. That's consecration. Uh, we've looked at the principle of Christian fellowship. It ought to be true that you would rather be with God's people than any other people. And last time we looked at the principle of heavenly affections. And you know, you are going to, and I'm going to have to push our heart God's direction. Well, I'm a preacher, I'm just waiting until I feel like it. Then you're going to wait a long time. You're going to waste a lot of years. We just need to push our heart God's way. Having said that, Pastor, what are we looking at today? Well, look there in Luke chapter 7. And I'd like to read uh, five verses total. And, and it's from this that we're getting tonight's principle. But if you would follow as I read Luke chapter 7, verse 2 and 3. And then I'm going to read verse 6, 7, and 8. So follow as I begin in verse number 2. And a certain centurion's servant, who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. Then verse number 6. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was now, uh, now not far from the house... The centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed, for I am also a man set under authority. We're going to look tonight at the principle of authority. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for each one that's here. Lord, we know it's cold. We know that some maybe were not able to come because of the cold. Or maybe some are not well. Maybe there are others that are traveling and they're elsewhere. But Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness of each one that's come. And Lord, we pray tonight as we look into yet another principle, help us to understand from the scriptures how important this is that before we make any decision, particularly landmark decisions, that we would take this thought into consideration. Help tonight. May these words be understood. May they be plain. May they be accurate. Or may they help us, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I think that maybe this is a less familiar passage in the Bible. But we find there in verse number one that Jesus has come to the city of Capernaum. Turns out that that was his headquarters in the beginning of his public ministry. Capernaum is up north, it's near Galilee. And so Jesus is in the city of Capernaum. And in that city is a centurion. Now that word sent, sent is one of a hundred, but a centurion was a soldier that was in charge of a hundred soldiers. So he was a commander, if you would, a centurion. So this man was responsible, this man had a designation and this man was in charge of a hundred uh, soldiers, but he had a servant. Look what it says in verse 2. And a centurion's servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And so this centurion cared. He cared about the servant. 
And he is heard according to verse number 3. And when he heard of Jesus, and Jesus we gather is in his town, he sends some people to ask Jesus, would you please heal my sick servant? Because this servant is just about ready to die at the end of verse 2. And so sure enough, they go and take this message to Christ. And they beg the Lord that the Lord would indeed heal the servant. And Jesus complies with the request, verse 6. Then Jesus went with them. And so he begins to take whatever, how many blocks that was that he had to travel. And when, when he was now not far from the house, so he's getting closer to the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Now, that's quite a thought. He is a respected man. He's in charge of a hundred soldiers. But he said, Lord, I don't feel worthy for you to come under my roof, verse number seven. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. But say in a word, and my servant shall be healed, verse eight. For I am, sorry, for I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth. And he's talking about the fact that he has authority, and he is under authority. Pastor, what is this word authority? Authority is someone that has power. Authority is someone that has power over others. This word authority is somebody who's been put in a position of leadership. And we're going to talk tonight about the principle of authority. Now, obviously, this man understood that the world didn't revolve around him. That when he made decisions, that there were others that were affected by the decisions that he made. Again, if you look there in verse number 8, uh, he said, For I also am a man set under authority. So even with the respected position that he had, he knew that there were people that were above him. He knew that there were those in leadership above him. And he also knew that he was an authority over people that were under him. So he understood this principle of authority. And you know, sometimes when we talk about authority, I mean, it comes to mind other words, rules and structure and restrictions and accountability. And for that reason, some people don't like authority. It's, it's too rigid. It, it's too stifling. It, it's too overbearing. Authority pastor is just a pain. Why do I have to listen to other people that tell me what to do and yet others have a completely different opinion. They recognize that with authority comes organization, and with authority comes productivity. More gets done if there's somebody that's in authority, and they know ultimately there's more pleasure. And so although some balk at the idea of authority, and they balk at the idea of rules, just imagine what would happen if people didn't follow any rules. Think about the chaos that it would be. If you were driving down the road and somebody coming the other direction at you decided, why would I stay in his right lane? Let's just go in the left lane. Folks, aren't you glad that some people follow the rules? Now, we know we've been driving on the road. Not everybody follows the rules. Not everybody stops at a four-way stop sign. And and, uh, but I'm saying, aren't you glad that for the most part, people recognize authority? They take advantage of that. Can you imagine if you got on, a, on an airplane and you had your ticket and you were sitting in row five, seat A, right by the window, and you got onto that plane and there were three people seating in row five, A, B, C, and, and you said, sir, I, I, I've, got a, I've got a ticket for that seat. I don't care what you have a ticket for. This is where I'm sitting. Do you know what kind of chaos that would be on a plane? They have rules on a plane that you put your bag up top and you don't leave your bag in the aisle. And if someone says, well, this is where my bag's staying. It's staying in the aisle. It would be utter chaos. And there's always, I don't know that I've been on a flight, on a plane, where somebody didn't think, I'm going to do what I want. Thank you very much. You're not going to change. And you know, I appreciate stewards, stewards and stewardesses. 
that just have that nasty job and say, sir, could I, could I see your ticket? <laughs> and if they won't cooperate with the steward, then they bring someone else and finally the captain. And I'm saying, I know that some people balk at the idea of authority, but if it wasn't for authority, our life would be chaos. Imagine if you went to a restaurant and they didn't have a rule that those employees wash their hands after they prepare the food. Imagine what you'd be eating. See, I'm not sure what I'm eating now. Uh, can you imagine if they didn't have rules that if there was something wrong with the food, they had to throw it out, they couldn't keep it? I can still remember, this a few years ago, I can still remember my wife and I, we took Holly. Holly was just a wee little girl. We took Holly to McDonald's. And I went up to the counter and I ordered, I'm, I'm sure it was the cheapest, uh, whatever, double burger, McBurger, McDouble, whatever. And uh, probably something even cheaper for Holly. And uh, I went and ordered it and brought it back to the table. And I set it down and I said, honey, I'll go get us some ketchup. We knew that was going to take a little bit. So I went to get the ketchup and brought the ketchup in those little containers and sat down at the table and we had a word of prayer and I opened my wrapper and I lifted off the top bun and there was a bite out of my hamburger patty. Folks, I went ballistic. I thought, you're kidding me. This is, this is McDonald's. That's why I shouldn't have been surprised. This is McDonald's. I'm saying all this for Brother Wilson's uh, benefit. And, and I was so upset that immediately I got up and my wife was trying to say something, but I wasn't even listening. And I took that thing with the bite out of the patty and I took that thing and I said, come on, come on, look at this. And boy, they just apologized up and down. And I said, what kind of a place are you running here? And finally, they gave me another one and they, they, they didn't promise me, you know, shares in the company, but they did do everything short. And I came back and said, fix that. And she said, honey, why did you race so I said, dear, there was a bite of it. She said, I took a bite out of it and gave it to Holly. <laughs> and so now I'm embarrassed. Now, now I'm, uh, I, I no longer have the upper hand on this McDonald's. And you, you, you can't tell them that one now, brother. And you understand, aren't you glad that there are rules? And, and, and even when us customers don't follow the rules, aren't you glad that there are rules and there's authority? And here this man in Luke chapter 7, he understood authority. He understood the principle of authority. And the question, of course, is do we? You know, are submitting to authority, it doesn't always sit well with us. And we have a fleshly nature that wants to do what we want to do. But if everybody lived that way, this world would be chaos. Sometimes children look forward to the day. Sometimes teens look forward to the day when they can get out of their house and get away from their parents so that they can do what they want. Many years ago, there was an evangelist named Tim Lee. And Tim Lee, he, I, he pre, was preaching 30 years ago, and Tim Lee, he was so tired of his dad's rules. He had enough of getting up at 6 in the morning and, and, and all the jobs that he had to do at his house. He said, I can hardly wait to get out of my house. Now, maybe someone here that's thinking about that. You think, your house is the worst house, the worst home. you got the worst parents, and anybody would be better than this. So sure enough, he left home and he joined the Marines. <laughs> and then he had a guy that was barking at him day and night, who was his father and his mother and his sister and his brother and all the rest of that stuff and telling him when to get up and telling him to sleep with his rifle and telling him all the rest of that. Listen, you might think that home with all its rules is a horrible thing. But I'm telling you, you're going to find out that wherever you go, there are rules. And that prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 probably thought as he was walking to the far country, he probably thought good riddance on rules <laughs> and good riddance on somebody telling me what to do. I can do what I want from now on and that might have lasted just a few days. 
until he ran out of money and he ran out of friends and he ran out of food. And then he began to realize he never had to think about food when he was back home. That was always taken care of. And he got thinking, now he never had to worry about a bed to sleep on. Never had to worry about someone that cared and loved and cleaning his clothes. And, and now he had to go get a job in a pig pen and he had to ask for it. And he was still so hungry because they didn't pay him anything like home paid him that he was actually thinking of eating the husks of the corn that was fed to the pigs. I'm saying to you that sometimes we have this crazy idea that nobody has it worse than me. And I'm saying that you're never going to go anywhere where you don't have some kind of authority. So let's see what we can learn here in this situation. Let's begin in Genesis chapter 2. You can let go of Luke. Eventually we'll get back there. And So if you want to keep something in it, it'll save you from finding it. But uh, Genesis chapter number 2, again, we're trying to look at the principle of authority in Genesis chapter 2, let's start there in verse number 8. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 8, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. We know that when God created this world, that the very first thing that God created was a man. That's in verse number 8. And if you go a little bit further in verse number 22, And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And so now you got a man, you got a woman, and they are married. Could I say to you that there are four basic realms of authority, if you're taking notes. There are four basic realms of authority, four regions of authority that you're going to always have to deal with. This very first institution that God established is the home. And so we're talking about four basic realms of authority. And the first realm of authority is the home. Now we know that the man was created, Genesis 2 verse 8. We know that the woman was created in Genesis 2 verse 22. We know in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1, God blessed that home with children. So you've got a man, you've got woman, you've got children. But even before the children were brought into that home, God established a structure in this home. And we know that after they sinned, God pronounced judgment on each that had sinned. But look there in Genesis 3 and verse 16. Genesis 3 and verse 16, Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sore and thy conception in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. I'm saying to you that there are four basic realms of authority, and the first one's in the home. And God designed that the man be the head of the home, and the woman follow the leadership of the man, and the children follow the leadership of both parents, that's one realm of authority. And a home works when they follow the principle of authority in their home. We know what happens when people decide in a home, I don't have to do what my husband says. I don't have to do what my parents says. That's chaos. I say we're looking at four realms of authority. The first one's the home. Look there in Genesis 9. And, and I know that some of this is not new. Might be new to someone here, so let's help people catch up. But Genesis chapter 9 is the second institution that God established. So we established the home and has authority in a home. Second institution is Genesis chapter number 9. Now this is when Noah and his family come out of the ark. Genesis chapter number 9, look there if you would, in verse number 5. Genesis 9 and verse 5, And surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast, will I require it. And at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Now look at verse 6. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. 
For in the image of God made he, uh, made he man. You know, the second institution that God established was government. And here it says, when a man takes someone else's life, God delegated the judgment of that crime. It says there in verse 6, to be meted out by man. So the first institution that you're going to deal with authorities in a home. Second institution that you're going to deal with authority is in the government. And so God has set forth a pecking order. The national leaders are over above local officials and then citizens. And you say, well, you know what? I'm not particularly in agreement with the government all the time. And, and I understand that statement. But God has set the government as an institution. And it has an authority structure. I give you a third thing. Quickly look over there in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter number 2. Now, I know that this is jumping forward 38, but no, it's uh, 42, 43 books. Acts chapter number 2, actually begin there, if you would, in Acts chapter number 1. And this is the third institution that God set in place, and it's the church. It's the local church. Acts chapter 1, we have some hints of a local church being established in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 1, verse 13 and when they were come in, they went uh, up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, uh, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon's Lodes and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. That's, that's the first inkling of some kind of an establishment of a local church, uh, look there in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter number 2 and verse 41, of course, Peter has preached on the day of Pentecost. And we read the result of the preaching, Acts 2, 41, that they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So this little indication of a local church that we kind of read of in Acts chapter 1, no, the Lord's adding to it. And I say the third of these realms, basic realms of authority is the church, the local church. So God sets up a home that has authority in it. And God sets up a government that has authority in it. And God sets up a local church that has authority in it. And the fourth one, we, we won't even turn to reference for it, but work. God set up where you go to work, your job, your place of employment. Now, unless you're self-employed and you're the only one that works for you, then you have someone that either you answer to or they answer to you. We're trying to learn this principle of authority. And you know, God has set those four places up. He set up the home, he set up the government, he set up the local church, and he set up the place of employment, not to make our life miserable. But all those things are to teach us about authority. And when we work with a program that God set up, we grow, we mature. That leads me to a second thought. Look there in Ephesians chapter number 6. So we're looking here at the principle of authority and God's given us four basic realms of authority. He's given us the home. God put you in a home. God put you in a country that has a government. God put you in a local church, and God put you at a place of employment. Secondly, I'd like us to consider the benefits of submitting to authority. Say, preacher, I, I recognize those realms but preacher, you do not understand that some of those realms, they are miserable. <laughs> Why should I obey them? Why would I submit to them? Could I give you, secondly, the benefits of submitting to authority? Now, maybe it's your home. Maybe you say, I, I, I've just got the toughest parents there are. You know what? When I was a kid, I told people I had the toughest parents that there are. I mean... When you were a kid, you thought the same? Well, no one. Y'all had, oh, there's one. Okay. One honest soul amongst all. Two. We're up to two. 
I thought I had the toughest mom. I thought I, had, I, thought, I said, well, sure, she went to bed with army boots on. Now, she didn't. But I thought that. And so if, if you're a young person still at home and you think that, well, get in line. You know, we, we thought that. Pastor, why? Preacher, where I work, boy, they're just, you, you just can't do anything to make them happy. Pastor at the church, you, preacher, you ought to meet our pastor sometime. He's just, he's just tough to work with. And Trudeau, <laughs> well, we won't go any further. Pastor, why would I submit to those leaders in authority? Well, let's have a look here. Ephesians chapter 6, he again raises the realm of the home. Children obey your parents and the Lord. And you know, right within this text, he gives three reasons why obeying the authority of the home, God will bless you for it. Look at it again, verse 1. Children obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. First of all, it's right. You'll be doing what's right. But it doesn't end there. Verse number two, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that, why? Well, here's the second reason, that it may be well with thee and that thou mayest live long on the earth. Pastor, you give me one good reason why I should obey my dad and mom. Well, there's three. First of all, it's right to do. And secondly, because your life will turn out well. And third, because you'll live a long life. I remember, of course, I've had a kidney transplant. Before I had a kidney transplant, my sister had one. I think hers was nine years before mine, and I talked to her before she had her kidney transplant. And I said, Nancy, I said, are you nervous? She said, not particularly. I said, are you worried? She said, no. I said, well, you need to face the reality. You might not get off that operating table. She said, I don't think that's true. I said, on what basis are you so sure? And she quoted verse number three. She said, I've always obeyed our parents. I've always honored our parents. And God promised that thou mayest live long on the earth. You say, Pastor, can you, can you claim it that she did? The flip side of that is if you decide that you're going to give your parents a tough time, you might have a short life, <laughs> a much shorter one. And so, again, I'm talking about their benefits. First thing, if you're writing benefits, is God will bless you for it. Here, it's pretty obvious for a child in a home, for a young person in a home that obey their parents and honor their parents. God's going to bless them for it, but not only will God bless you for it, I want you to know that God will protect you if you submit to your authority. Somebody has said this, that uh, authority is kind of like an umbrella. And when it's raining, as long as you're under the protection of that umbrella, well, you don't have anything to worry about because you're protected. And they said that the authorities in our life, be it the home, be it the government, be it the church, as long as you are doing what you are asked to do, you are protected from all kinds of trouble that normally would come your way. But you decide, I don't care about this authority. A young person decides, I don't care what my dad tells me to do. And I don't care what my mom tells me to do, and I'm out of here. Well, guess what? That prodigal faced things in that far country that he never would have faced at home because he was no longer protected at his home. And again, some convinced themselves it would be so much easier. You might find it's going to be so much harder because you have stepped outside of that God-given protection. Um, look there in 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You know that 1 Corinthians 5, when Paul writes the church, and that Corinthian church had all kinds of problems. 
One of the problems in chapter 5, look at it there, 1 Corinthians 5, 1, it's reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. So there was a man in the church that was having immoral relations with his father's wife. Now, be that his mother, be that his stepmother, that was going on in the church. And uh, not only was going on in the church, the church knew it. They tolerated it. They almost were proud of it. Look at verse 2. He says, Paul says, and ye are puffed up. That's pride. You're puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. He said, you don't want to brag about something like that. That man has to be dealt with. So watch the instruction there. Look there in verse number three. For I verily is absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that had done, uh, so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together, so the next time the church meets, in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. You know what Paul's saying? You can't let that thing keep going on. That thing has to be dealt with, and if need be, that man needs to be set outside of the church. It's called church discipline. But watch real closely what happens to the man that's under church discipline because he's no longer under the protection of the church. Look in verse number 5. To deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And I'm saying to you, say, preacher, what are the benefits of submitting to authority? Well, the first benefit is God will bless you for it. And the second benefit is God will protect you for it. I give you quickly a third benefit, still under the same point. Not only God will bless you for it, God will protect you for it, but God will grow you by it. You know, as, as you do and as I do what we're asked by the authorities in our life, you know, you will begin to understand, well, yeah, this makes sense. I don't like all this, but this makes sense. And God will grow your mind, and you will, you will be converted from just a follower that does what he's told to do to become a leader at some point. Folks, all great Bible leaders were at one time followers. And they simply did what they were asked to do. And they grew in their understanding and they grew in their responsibility. And finally, they stepped up to a position of leadership. Pastor, what are the benefits of submitting to authority? Well, again, we, we've already seen uh, he'll bless you and two, he'll protect you. And three, he'll grow you. But fourth, he'll promote you. One day God will put you in a position of leadership yourself. But if, 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 you, if you can't follow, well, you won't be put in leadership. So we're looking at the principle of authority. First of all, four basic realms of authority. The home, the government, the local church, and work. Secondly, the benefits of submitting to authority. Well, God will bless you, and God will protect you, and God will grow you, and God will promote you. Now, here's the third thing. Look there in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter number 5. And this question inevitably comes up. Well, you say, Pastor, there are four realms of authority. What am I going to do when my authority in one realm tells me to do something that's different than my authority in another realm? What am I going to do with that conflict? If you're taking notes, the battle when submitting to authority. Well, look there in Acts chapter 5 and verse 27. Acts chapter 5 and verse 27, when they, that's these religious leaders in Jerusalem, and when they had brought them, that's Peter and John, and when they had brought them, they set them, Peter and John, before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, 
Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Those religious rulers were furious with Peter and John. See, why were they so upset with Peter and John? Well, they had told Peter and John, we don't want you ever to preach about Jesus again. Look there in Acts 4 and verse 18. Acts 4 and verse 18, And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. In Acts 4 and verse 21, So when they had further threatened them, and so you, you have some kind of leadership here and that's telling them, don't speak about Jesus Christ. Well, you see, Pastor, what are they going to do? Because that's an authority. Well, look there in Acts chapter 5 and verse 28. Acts 5 and 28, did, uh, saying, Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in his name? And, bold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Look at Peter's answer, verse 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. And so uh, this question of what do I do when two authorities conflict? You always side with the higher authority. Always, 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 always. And so your parents go out on a date. And your older sister is in charge. And she's been delegated the authority. And so your parents are no sooner out of the driveway and your older sister says, here we go, let's break out all the popcorn, all the cheese and all the chips and all the... All the food, and let's have a party, and let's turn the music up to point nine, and let's uh, listen to Patch the Pirate, and, and all the rest of that, and, and let's, let's throw dishes, at, and you know right well, although she's the authority, your dad and mom would crown you with many crowns if they found that out. I say, Pastor, she is the authority. <laughs> yeah, but when there's two authorities that conflict, you always rise to the higher authority. And that is throughout the scriptures. Do you know in the Old Testament, Pharaoh told the midwives, if that's a Hebrew boy that's born, kill the boy. And they didn't do it. And God blessed them for not obeying Pharaoh in that case. We know that uh, when uh, the leadership of Babylon was brought to that image that Nebuchadnezzar set up and when all the music started to play and they were supposed to bow down, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't bow down. Well, the authority told them they were supposed to, yes, but a high authority said, thou should have no other gods before me. And then when Darius signed a decree that no one could pray to anyone but 30 days but to him, he went right into his room and opened those windows toward Jerusalem and he prayed. I'm saying when there's a battle about this business of authority, you always rise to the higher authority. And when your government says that you need to do something and God says you need to do something different, well, God's higher. And haven't we been through two years of that? Haven't we been through two years where somebody in government decided the church was not essential? You can't go to church. Well, the Bible says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, that's a higher authority. And again, we're trying to get this principle of authority down. We looked at the basic, four basic realms of authority, the benefits of authority. Third, the battle when submitting to authority. I'll give you the last thing. Look there in 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13. You know, maybe one of the greatest examples in the Old Testament of somebody that decided not to follow authority and what it cost them is this man named Saul, King Saul. And I'm trying to keep with bees tonight, but the fourth is the bruises when bucking authority. 
the bruises when bucking authority. Look there in 1 Samuel 13, verse 13. And Samuel, that's the prophet, said to Saul, that's the king, thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. You say, preacher, what's happening here? We know that Saul was the very first king of Israel. He was a king for 40 years. At this time, he'd only been a king for two years, according to chapter 13, verse 1. The nation of Israel was at war with the Philistines. It was customary before Israel went to war that the prophet would sacrifice an animal and ask God to help them in the battle. Well, King Saul and those Jewish soldiers, they wait and they wait and they wait and they wait for the prophet Samuel to come. And while they're waiting, they're counting the enemy. Look there in 1 Samuel 13, verse 5, and the Philistines, that's the enemy, gather themselves together to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward of Bethaven. When the men of Israel saw it, they were in a strait. <laughs> well, sure they were. Scared to death. And King Saul said, we can't go fight yet. We've got to do the sacrifice. People said, well, they're getting closer. Saul, they're getting closer. And Saul said, no, Samuel said he's coming. We, we better wait. And finally, it comes to the place where Saul figures, I can't wait any longer. Look at verse 8. It says, and he, Samuel, tarried. That's he didn't come. Seven days, according to the set time that Samuel had appointed but Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Well, guess what? King, you're not supposed to offer sacrifices. So he decided that he was going to do what he wasn't supposed to do. He was supposed to leave that to his authority. And you know, because he did that, look what God said there to this king Again, 1 Samuel 13 and verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. I'm giving you finally the bruises when bucking authority. You know what that means? You know what that verse 13 means? Samuel said, Saul, if you had just waited, if you'd waited until I did what you never should have done, God would have established your kingdom forever. You know what that means? Saul wasn't going to live forever, but his son would have taken the throne. And his son's son would have taken the throne. And his son, son, son would have taken the, his His lineage would have continued on the throne of Israel. Now you that know your Bibles, when the 40 years of Saul being a king, when those 40 years were done, who became the next king? It was David. David wasn't Saul's son. I was son-in-law, but he wasn't his son. Could I say the first bruise of bucking authority? The first bruise of bucking authority is, and I'm trying to get my wording here, is you're going to hurt the next generation. You're going to hurt the next generation. Now, whether you're a young person or not so young anymore, the people that follow your footsteps are going to be affected by your following authority or not following authority. And here, this decision that Saul made, his sons never got to the throne because dad said, I don't have to do what God said do. What a bruise. I'll give you a second bruise. And again, it's seen in Saul's life. Not only we see that in 1 Samuel chapter 13, but then look in 1 Samuel chapter 15. God gives Saul a second chance. He gives Saul a chance to redeem his previous blunder. There in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse number 1. 
Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did uh, to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all all that they have and spare them not but slay both man and woman infant and suckling ox and sheep camel and ass God's giving him a second chance God says listen Saul remember when Israel came out of Egypt Exodus 18 the Amalekites attacked them God said way back then you remind Joshua that one day they will have to attack the Amalekites this is the time this is, I think, some 400 years later. God says, Saul, you blew it once, but I'll let you redeem yourself. Go smite the Amalekites, every one of them. Well, if you know your chapter, you know what happened there. Look at verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed. So he didn't do it a second time. And you say, well, preacher, how exactly did that cost him? Well, look what happened in verse 26. Verse number 26. And Samuel said, unto, this is 1 Samuel 15, 26. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return unto thee. For thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned, now picture this. Samuel is the man that has the closest walk with God in Saul's life. And Samuel says, Saul, you blew it. God gave you a second chance and you didn't do what God told you to do. And Samuel begins to turn and walk away from Saul. He's, he's losing his closest spiritual friend. Look what happens there, verse number 27. And as Samuel turned away, sorry, turned about to go away, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle and it rent. <laughs> and so Saul's realizing what I've just done and Samuel's turning and, and Saul grabs a hold of him and tears it. Samuel turns and says, just like you tore my garment, God is tearing the kingdom away from you. Preacher, what are the bruises? for bucking authority. Well, we've already seen the first bruise is it hurts the next generation. But the second, it's, it's going to cost you your spiritual friends. It's going to cost you your spiritual friends. Folks, I, there's acquaintances that come and go. They call them fair weather friends. You don't want to lose a spiritual friend. You don't want to lose that one man, that one woman, that one teen that has a prayer life, that can get a hold of God. They're worth 20 other friends that you can have a good time. But it costs all that. I give you third, and I, I, I have to be done, right? First Samuel 28. One more bruise. First Samuel 28. Well, this is ultimately where King Saul and his army are fighting the Philistines. 1 Samuel 28, look there in verse number 19. 1 Samuel 28, verse 19, Moreover, the Lord will also uh, deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. And the Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. You know, uh, Saul was at his wit's end. Samuel was no longer around to get advice. Saul tried to pray to God and God wouldn't answer. And finally, Saul does something crazy. Saul gets a witch and pays a witch to somehow bring Samuel up from the grave. And we won't even get into all that, but Samuel said, why did you call me? And Saul said, I can't get an answer from God. What's going to happen? And Samuel says, you're going to be with me tomorrow. Samuel's dead. You know what that meant? That means Saul would die. Can I say this? The last bruise of bucking authority 
is you will die prematurely. You'll die prematurely. Now, folks, you shouldn't be afraid of dying. But why rush it? <laughs> why not enjoy every bit of this life that God has for us? It's all the principal authority. If you're still in a home and you're not the head of the home, then whatever your authority is, Lord, you put me in this home for a reason. Pastor, it's the worst home there is. God knew what he was doing when he put you in that home. God is preparing you for something great, but it's going to be tested in your home. God put you in this country for a reason. I just sure wish I was born in. Well, you weren't. You were born here. God is going to prepare you for what he has in your future by how you surrender to authority here. God's put you in this church. Oh, pastor, I just wish I was part of another church. Well, God put you in this church. And find what God wants you to do here instead of looking over the fence, thinking it could be so much better somewhere else. You might be surprised. And wherever you happen to be working, you need to thank God for that job. Well, it would be so much better. Maybe not. Why don't you thank God for what you've got? It's called the principle of authority. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the principle. Lord, we didn't have time to look at it, but Jesus, at 12 years old, went to the temple in Jerusalem. And he began to ask questions and listen as those teachers were teaching. And Joseph and Mary realized Jesus wasn't with them as they were heading back home. When they finally found Christ in the temple, they didn't understand what Christ was doing. They told Jesus he needed to come back home. And Jesus submitted to the authority of Mary and Joseph. And Lord, the very next verse, it says Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. God, he just submitted to the authorities in his life. Lord, you blessed him. And I know he's the son of God, but you blessed him because of his submission to authority. Would you help us? Wherever someone tonight might be struggling in one of the realms, help them to trust you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.